Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host of this program. And again, thank you for joining me as well as I go on my adventures of learning as much as I can, uh, this world full of information and continuing to be educated by all these wonderful experts and masters. Today, I have with me a very special gentleman who is Canadian, as I am, and he spoke with us uh, for our first and our third Virtual World Yoga and Meditation Conference. His name is Neil Pearson. He specializes in pain, pain management. And I do believe that is a subject matter that is ongoing for so many of us here in this world. Um, there has been so many imbalances that have taken place from the simple things like even using your iPhone or, you know, the kids on their computers, you know, carpal tunnel syndromes. You know, so uh, many people these days complain about lower back and knee pains. And he is also a yoga therapist as well. So he has encompassed many different levels and modalities in his life and in his training. And so I, could, I would love to introduce you to this gentleman, and hopefully we will be doing more with him in the future, where he can give us more and more guidance as well. I'd like to welcome Neil Pearson. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's a pleasure. This is your first time, <laughs> and definitely not the last. I know that. Um, so, Neil, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background, like how you even became uh, a therapist? Okay, so well, I uh, graduated in 1985 from uh, physical therapy school. Um, before I did that, I was actually interested in being a phys ed teacher. I trained to be a, a teacher for phys ed in, in school. And then while I was doing it, I learned more about uh, anatomy and more about physiology and realized that uh, I was much more interested originally more in the sports sports therapy side of physical therapy. Ooh, and then once I got, uh, got into uh, Queen's University, which is where I went uh, for my schooling in, in both phys ed and physiotherapy, I... I just started to get, you know, much more interested in in all the different kinds of things that physical therapists do, uh, from working with uh, people of heart disease to working with uh, newborn babies, and and uh, you know, there's such a wide gamut of what physical mm. therapy gets to do, and it all was very fascinating. Mm. So, so why the change from being a phys ed teacher into the therapeutic world? What prompted that? Uh, I think the the thing was. Um, well, when I look back to high school, I was interested in being a phys ed teacher primarily, like I loved the phys ed, the activity side of things, mm -hmm. but I had some really, really great role models and, and, uh, I was really interested in teaching and, uh, you know, I wanted to be like some of these people that, that taught me, uh, sports and coached me in sports in high school. Um, and, but then once I got to university and started, you know, started to learn new new things, I started to realize that there was this uh, whole different world out there, you know, this world of anatomy and and getting down into how cells worked and how systems worked in the body was just uh, really really fascinating. Um, yeah, a whole nother world out there, huh? It's a jungle. Yeah, in, in there, yeah, world in there. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! And then um, so. Um, after you graduated, you mainly focused on physiotherapy. 
Right. So when I graduated, I actually started working in a hospital that had both a sports medicine uh, clinic, but also worked with uh, people who were in the hospital for surgery or in the hospital mm -hmm. waiting to, um, you know, maybe they had gotten to the point in their life when they couldn't take care of themselves and they're waiting to be placed in a, in a some sort of uh, healthcare home. Hmm. Um, and did that for about a year and realized that that really wasn't something that uh, excited me a whole lot. And uh, then I ended up working in, in intensive care. So I worked in a, uh, a trauma ICU oh. for three years. And uh, while I was there. Doing your therapeutic work? Well, yeah, do, yeah, as a physical therapist. So oh. uh, people who are, um, well, people who are uh, comatose or they've, um, they've been sedated mm -hmm. because of such a big trauma injuries. Uh, you know, their body gets stiff mm -hmm. because they're not moving it. And so one of the jobs that we would have would be to actually go in and, and move their bodies to keep their joints moving. Mm -hmm. We'd also, uh, help to, uh, uh, move secretions in their lungs, try to help the, the people breathe better and to, uh, help them, uh, get the you know the normal mucus that we build up in our lungs if you're laying around mm -hmm. because of uh, an injury it can build up and end up with pneumonia so a big job of physical therapy there was to help people not get pneumonia wow that must have been quite intense working with those uh, patients well it was and and i i really i i liked the uh um the technology aspect of it, I found really, really fascinating. And of course, it was learning all new stuff that I had only learned a little bit about in school. And then because I was so used to working in this sort of high stress uh, area, our hospital ended up opening a, uh, a neonatal intensive care unit. Um, and because I knew a lot about intensive care, I actually ended up getting trained to work with uh, premature babies um, mm -hmm. in the ICU as well. And so I did that for another three years or so. Um, so those are great, great experiences to see, you know, to see, uh, life at the beginning, especially when it's before it's supposed to have happened and, um, you know, all the developmental issues there. It's, it's really changed my view of, of, uh, my job and sort of human existence as well, I guess. Mm, mm, wow. From the, from, uh, it's like our Trinity, as we call it, the beginning of life, right? The, the base there and through adulthood and then right to our wisdom keepers when they're about to transition out. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Wow. That's a, that's, that's an incredible experiences when you, I mean, really you were still in your youth at the time. Not saying yeah, that you're not now. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. I would have been in my, my, you know, mid to late twenties as yeah. I was doing all this and which of course caused some, a lot of fun working in uh, working with babies uh, when the nursing staff sort of sees you as as looking a like a baby, <laughs> it took a while to actually get any respect there. So, uh, but it came around. Wow, that's great. Oh, so so from that point, um, what has what what was your next step in your path? What was the next stepping stone? Well, the next step was starting to work in a, a clinic called the Canadian Back Institute. It was. Um, uh, a group of clinics that were set up by a physical therapist and by uh, Dr. Hamilton Hall, who's a orthopedic surgeon. He's the fellow who wrote the Back Doctor books. Hmm. Um, and these two guys really, uh, in Canada, started to revolutionize the the sort of WCB uh, injury rehab. Hmm. 
Uh, whereas physiotherapy clinics in the past really didn't have um, any gyms or exercise areas, they started to set up uh, clinics that, that had that, that had right. a gym, that had an exercise area. So you would um, do the one-on-one -on -one physical therapy with people, then you get them into the gym and start to show them how to recover their strength and their flexibility and their function right there in the clinic. So I worked with that, uh, primarily hmm. working with people who had back pain, neck pain, whiplash disorder stuff for, oh man, about six years. And uh, then got really, really interested in, in actually whiplash hmm. disorder and went back to university for two years and did my master's, did a, a master's research project um, all about uh, whiplash and, and neck pain. Hmm. Wow, so yeah. anyone who's got neck pain, go see Neil. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have half the country at your door banging away. Yeah. Well, uh, it, while I was there, of course, um, being in a master's program, they ask you to teach. And so, uh, you know, sort of back to the, I wanted to be a phys ed teacher. And then, so while I was doing my master's and they asked me to teach, I started to realize how much I love teaching. And... Um, so after I finished that, I, I ended up teaching at the university for a year. They hired me on to teach uh, while one of their professors was on sabbatical. And um, that sort of was the genesis of moving me back into more of the, the teaching side of things. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's <laughs> Well, so that, that teaching through line, that followed you right, right to now. Oh, absolutely. It, it, yeah, it's so, it's so part of my being. Mm. So uh, then after I did the master's, I worked in, in your sort of standard physical therapy private practices for a number of years and then actually had a job working um, uh, back with this uh, big Canada-wide company, this Canadian Back Institute. I worked with them for a few years as a, a clinical quality manager. So I was – my job was ensuring clinical quality in these clinics. So I would go to them and actually back to teaching. I'd be teaching the uh, – the, the people there, you know, assessing how they're doing with, with working with the clients and then teaching them how to be better at their job. Wow. And, uh, and of course, what, now, interestingly, while I was there, I started to have to teach a lot of courses, you know, in this, this program. And we started to teach more about chronic pain. And, uh, the more I started to learn about it, the more I got excited about it and <laughs> really sort of shifted my, my interest into that area. Uh, one, because to me, there was, was way more, the science was saying there's way more optimism that most people thought about helping people with chronic pain. Uh, but also there was a huge gap. And, and even today, there remains this, uh, there are very, very few people who teach about chronic pain. Mm -hmm. uh, within the, the yoga therapy world, there's, there's almost none. Uh, within the medical world, there's some. Within the physical therapy world, there's some. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, in in Canada, there's uh, four of us who, in the physical therapy world, who teach the kind of things that I teach, which is pretty small number. Mm, very small. Um, now, so when you say chronic pain, can you articulate mm -hmm. a little further for our audience what you mean by sure. that? Because I mean, as, as I say, it seems like nowadays anyone you talk to, they have some kind of pain going on somewhere mm -hmm. in their body. I think I'm just getting older and it's just that age group. <laughs> you know? But I, I also believe that it's sort of um, the younger generation that I find as well. You know, I've, I've known some adults where, you know, their children at 
12 and 13 years old is having, you know, a lot of different treatments as well. And because they're, you know, um, dealing with growth pains and things like that. So, so can you differentiate between what is considered a chronic pain? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. There was so much juicy stuff in there that you said. (laughs) You Um, can, you can come back and cover any of them. (laughs) Touch upon all of it. Um, I guess the first thing that I would say is uh, we use the word chronic and I wish we didn't Mm -hmm. uh, because there's not a whole lot of optimism in the world. Chronic, it sounds like it's always going to be there. It can't do anything but get worse. Uh, That's the word that we tend to use. Uh, I actually like the word persistent better. So it's pain that's persisting. Mm. But if if we look at the definition of chronic pain, we would say that it's pain that's lasted longer than we would expect based on what's happened to the body. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people put a three-month time period on it. Some people put a six-month time period. So if you've had pain for more than six months, sort of on a daily basis, well, we would consider that to be a chronic pain condition. Mm -hmm. Um, So the people that I primarily work with, what so we would say is they're the people who have the complex chronic pain problems. So a person could have a chronic pain. They fit into the category of having chronic pain if they said, you know, every single time that um, I do downward facing dog, I get pain in my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Or every time I lift my arm up over my head, it hurts. But it doesn't hurt any other time, but it, it only hurts when I do that. But if it hurts every time you do it, we'd still call that a chronic pain problem. Oh, interesting. So um, that would be a chronic pain problem, we would say, isn't a wildly complex problem it's a very mechanical the pain is primarily caused because of something mechanical going on in the shoulder mm-hmm. um the people that i work with the the pain has become more complex and that the pain has started to affect um well we could say every aspect of their existence it's affected uh their ability to work their ability to do the things that make them feel good their ability to uh, relate to other people um you know, it, it goes on to uh, when pain lasts and it's it's not easy to control it. Uh, the pain changes the way you breathe, your your confidence, your uh, sort of self, uh, your identity. You know, mm-hmm. the the feeling you have of who you are and what you can do, and it makes us feel helpless and hopeless and and anxious and depressed and angry and fearful and all these things. But at the same time, as doing all those uh, things, what we might call psychological. We, psychological things to you it's also doing a lot of things to your physical self it's changing your muscle uh tension um it's making some muscles weak some muscles get uh, more engaged so the the you know i sort of could go on and on with that but really what's the, the complex chronic pain problems are issues when the um the pain has started to become more than just a mechanical problem mm-hmm. So, so when you say persistent, you really mean persistent. Like it's not just during a movement; it's continuous. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it. Yeah. Typically, these people would say the people that I work with would say, "I have pain most of the day or all of the day. Uh, the pain disturbs my sleep, or you know, it wakes me up, or it's hard to get to sleep, or I don't sleep well because of it." Yeah. So it's it's those kind of issues. And when we look at uh, the world of the Western world, where we have some statistics, we're looking at, at um, anywhere from you know 15 to 25 percent of the population. 
uh, would report that they have a chronic pain problem. Um, and then when you look at who has the more complex, mm. really troublesome chronic pain problems, when they look at that, they're still talking about, you know, some of the statistics get uh, no, no lower than 15%. Some of them get over 30% of the population. Wow. So it's, it's sort of all over there. So we sort of make a guess based on all these different surveys and things that people have done that we're looking at, you know, 15% to 20% of the population has a significant um, sort of life disrupting in some way ongoing pain problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so as people work through this or if they choose to, um, aren't there some occasions as well where it almost becomes like a white noise because if it extends longer than a few months and extends longer That's... than a certain amount of time, that it almost becomes, you know, just your body gets numb to it, your brain sort of adapts to it? I wish I could tell you that that's the way the system inside us works. The um, The automatic processing of our body mm-hmm. uh, will not uh, adapt in the way that you just said to pain. Uh, pain is a, a protection device. It's a protection mechanism. And if if it continues, the automatic processing of your body will actually ramp it up. So... Um, if you think of uh, a non-pain situation, if um, I were to come up and uh, put my hand on your shoulder, uh, what would happen is you'd feel my hand on your shoulder right at the beginning, and all the nerves in your shoulder would get excited about my hand being there. Yes, because my shoulder would say, oh, please massage. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. So, but you, if you can imagine if I stood there for a while and we continued to talk, and um, what could happen is that after a while, you wouldn't even feel my hand on your shoulder anymore, right? Mm-hmm. The system would, your system would adapt and say, well, that's old news. I really don't have to tell you about this anymore. Um, so that's what we sort of think will happen around pain, but pain doesn't work that way because it's a protection device. Uh, so if we go back to my, me with my hand on your shoulder, imagine that I give you the heebie-jeebies, right? There's something about me that makes you a little bit freaked out by my hand being on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Your system is not going to adapt and disregard that sensation. Actually, what will happen over time is the system will start to pay more and more attention to it. Mm. That makes some sense? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that happens when pain persists. To get the pain to turn into a white noise... We have to uh, consciously do things to change the system so that the system can adapt. Um, it can adapt. It's just we need to do it consciously. It's uh, it in in a chronic pain state. It won't happen on its own. Mm-hmm. In an acute pain, like if you just injure yourself now, your body, if it does what it's supposed to do, it will adapt regardless of whether the tissue heals well, properly, or at all, if it's an initial injury, if the system works the way it's supposed to, it sort of in time does the, ah, that's old news. I don't need to tell you about that anymore. (laughs) Right? That's the way if it works properly. If a person has a chronic pain situation or a complex chronic pain situation, it hasn't done that. Mm. And it's now in a a situation where it's a self-perpetuating. Wow. So now, in your uh, journey working with so many people, um, have you, I mean, as you say, not very many people teach about chronic pain. 
So the four of you who do, are your techniques quite similar? Uh, they're similar. There's definitely similarities in them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, of the four of us up here, I'm the only one who's trained in yoga. And so I have a very different sort of view of this. Um, I would say that two, two of the individuals take a much more physical-based approach to it, um, whereas mm -hmm. the, um, the other one takes a much more psychological approach to it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's similarities and there's differences. Uh, but the, the biggest difference really is that, that my sort of view of it, um, I really don't know where my physical therapy view uh, ends and my yoga therapy starts anymore because I've been doing the two of them together for so long that, uh, um, you know, if a person comes to me uh, uh, for one-on-one -on -one because they want some uh, physical therapy, um, I don't. The things that I do are not a whole lot different from what I do if someone comes to me because they want me to do yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, what's different is that the person coming from yoga therapy, uh, the language that I use is different and I'll probably use the, the postures and movements and uh, such of yoga. Whereas the other group, I'm going to do pretty much the same thing, but I'm just going to use a different uh, language around it and I'll get them to do stretches and other things. Um, that don't uh, sort of freak out the people who think that yoga is, is uh, a cult or something, right? Or turning themselves into a pretzel. That's what I used oh, to always exactly. think. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's still so, so much mythology around it. So, uh, yeah. Yes, I don't completely understand that. <laughs> Coming yeah. from that background, it's like when people would say, oh, you know, why don't you do yoga? You, you love, you know, aerobics. You love all that. And I'd go... Just can't turn myself into a pretzel. I just won't do it. <laughs> but uh, it is it is definitely a, a brilliant, brilliant art form that really adapts to to people of all physical levels. Uh, at this point, you know the the more um, different levels of yoga that are coming out that are really uh, really around to support people of all physical aspects, huh? Yeah, and and I guess the other thing about it is, you know, not only that you can work on people yoga, you can work on people through the continuum of their life. Uh, you can work through them on the continuum from uh, what we say, you know, healthy to to a person who has you know some problem with their health or disease. Um, but you also can work on every aspect of the person, which is is the thing that drew me drew me to it. Um, you know, I, I was I. I was drawn to yoga because I liked the physical aspect and I liked the meditative aspect of the two of them together. I liked putting those two together for myself. And then the more I practiced it and the more I worked with people who have these persisting pain problems, uh, the more it started to occur to me that it was almost like here's this perfect uh, recipe. Although mm. it's not really a recipe, but there, here's this perfect system that allows you to adapt to people uh, from many different perspectives, but also allows you to deal with the specific aspects um, that have been uh, changed by the pain. Mm -hmm. Because the pain changes our body and it changes our mind and it changes our spirit. And, and yoga can go after those. And, you know, if we get even sort of deeper in that, we know that, that um, uh, the pain changes the way you breathe. Well, we can work on that in yoga. Mm -hmm. The pain might make you anxious. Well, there's things we can do for that. It might make you uh, fearful. 
there are things that in yoga to do that. The pain may distort your view of your self, or you may not be able to feel your body as, as properly uh, as you did before. Um, and yoga provides us with, with techniques that specifically address each of these things. Mm-hmm. And you can then individualize it to the person in front of you who's got, of course, their, their unique pain problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you found that uh, through yoga and through your background that you've been able to support almost any client that comes into your door. Yes, definitely. Um, and I like that word you use, support. Um, most definitely, it's it's. Uh, um, people often come to me because even though I'm in yoga, people come to me because I'm a physical therapist, and they come to me because they see, uh, or they perceive, or they've been told that they have a medical issue. Uh, and so, part of my job is to get them to understand that there's a sort of medical aspect to what's going on with this persistent pain, but at the same time. Uh, the recovery has as much to do with health as it does with medicine. And Mm. so it's a matter of of showing people that uh, the solution to this is in what we do. So providing them with the expertise, you know, the expertise that I've gained from all the training that I've done um, and the expertise that I've gained by listening to all the patients that I've worked with, um, I can sort of share all that information with them to help them to come up with a plan that best supports the troubles that have happened with them because of this ongoing pain problem. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Wow. And uh, the, the patients or clients that come to see yeah. you, um, like, are they at all different levels? I mean, because you tend to specialize in the persistent, quote-unquote, chronic yeah. pain area. Um, do you find that that's most of your clients or do you still have this whole range, you know, from the babies all the way up oh. to the elders still and people who might have just a little something going on and they just trying to prevent anything major? Um, what is what do you think your balance is now? The majority of people that I see are in the 25 to 75 year age group. Mm-hmm. Um, typically when people come into me and I assess them as having something that's not a complex pain problem, I usually give them uh, as much information as I can and uh, then suggest to them another therapist to see. Hmm. Uh, You know, there's sort of two reasons behind that. One is that uh, I feel that my expertise is working with people with complex problems. But the other one is that um, I haven't been working with people with the more acute pain problems uh, on a consistent basis in a long time. So I figure my colleagues who do that a lot, so probably their expertise is probably more up-to-date and current. So uh, I sort of get people on to doing that. Although even in that case, they still can benefit from some of the things that we talked about with the, you know, with the breathing techniques and the, the sort of calming the nervous system that's important for prevention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I see a number of people who a number of teenagers, which is one of the really difficult areas to work with. Hmm. Um, you know, generally people don't think that teenagers are telling you the truth in the first place. So now, when this young, healthy, 
apparently a vibrant person comes in and tells you that they have a whole lot of pain. Uh, you know, the, the, a lot of times teenagers run into a massive stigma from, from society. Um, you know, people just have a hard time believing them, let alone believing that how could you actually have pain? Mm-hmm. And we, we have this idea that pain is an old person problem and pain isn't something that happens in young people. Um, and the research that we've done in the United States and Canada indicates that um, as many teens have a ongoing pain problem as adults do. Hmm. Uh, we've missed it because we didn't think it was like that. Um, oh, which is really un- unfortunate. It shouldn't be like that, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and part of the thing that you can look at is a whole lot of these people who as adults have a ongoing pain problem, their pain started when they were a teenager. And uh, one of the unfortunate things we – or one of the things we've learned is that if you want to prevent things from getting really bad around pain, we need to provide people with adequate pain relief early on. Mm. That when you make someone uh, prove that they have a pain problem or you um, you know, withhold pain management treatment because you don't believe the person can have pain, mm-hmm. uh, these are the kinds of things that, that make our nervous system freak out and give us a lot worse pain problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. so these um, pains that you're seeing in these teenagers – um, are they growing pains? Is it their joints and, and their body just trying to f- expand? I mean, I, I watch my child. <laughs> and you can see, you know, in a child how fast they grow. Yeah. And literally, the um, you know, in Chinese, they call it um, uh, the, I think a direct translation is the, the bones are swelling. Ah, well, actually, okay. that's pretty accurate and releasing heat so the fever goes up i mean my my son will have 103 degree fever about every three times a year and i don't give him anything i just allow the body to release and it takes 48 hours or so and then he's done you know it's like the teeth coming through same thing it's like 48 (laughs) hours 72 hours it's done don't freak out (laughs) so So. the, the teenagers that i'm seeing are having pain that's lasting it's not uh, pain that's there for a couple of days and gone. This is, you know, it's starting to disrupt their life. They're not uh, doing things with their peers. They're not doing their activity. They're not being able to study and sleep and all that stuff. So the the there's definitely are growing pains, and I think we're all pretty good at identifying these. You know, especially as parents when we see our child do a big growth spurt. <laughs> um, I mean, we it's interesting, you know. So in the Western medicine, we would say is well. See, the bones grow first. It's just the bones that grow. And what has to happen is that all the uh, muscles, tendons, connective tissue have to then get a new length. They need to grow yes. to match the bone. But, you know, the bone grew really quickly. And now all the, this other tissue is under this massive stretch 24 hours a day, which is going <laughs> to fire off the whole pain system. Right? Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... And then what happens is you get the, uh, the 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 connective tissue and all everything starts to adapt and change length, start to you know grow in the new stuff you need, and at the same time the nervous system has the ability to do the ah, that's old news, I don't need to tell you about that, right? <laughs> so you get all these things happening, and so yeah, it calms down pretty fast. But uh, that's not the that's not the chronic pain stuff. Um, 
you know, we're, we're talking about people, uh, teenagers who have, you know, they, they get back pain, they get neck pain. They, uh, or maybe I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I say we, as people, we, as teenagers, we get back pain and neck pain and all these other different things as mm-hmm. teenagers. And normally it comes and goes, but, uh, a persisting pain problem has a lot to do with the nervous system, uh, maladapting. It's a maladaptive shift. So, the nervous system has gotten fired up by something new happening. And then for some reason, it doesn't calm back down like it's supposed to. And uh, that's there, there's no reason to believe why that couldn't happen in a person of any age. Right. Now, there's actually reason to believe that it would happen less the older you get because your pain system, just like any other sensory apparatus in your body, the older you get, the less... Um, capable it is of sending signals right you don't taste things the same you don't hear things the same you don't smell things and see things the same as the older you get well your pain system is a perceptual apparatus as well and as you get older it actually declines just like all the other ones wow that's yeah, part of getting s- wiser huh I guess so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's not necessary we could just let that one go <laughs> Yeah, well, you get that too, right? Yeah, you get the cognitive side of it as well. Right. So so in teenagers, you're seeing more about the back, the neck. Um, Any risks because of all the computers now? (laughs) You know, that's not the the people that I'm seeing. I'm seeing, um, often I'm seeing the teenagers who, uh, they injure themselves and their approach to, uh, life and their body is to suck it up and push, which uh-huh. is very, very similar to adults. Yes. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not blaming the person for the problem because it, it takes more than this. But it's it's a really, really common thing you see in people that there's an injury and it's producing a fair amount of pain and that there's this uh, idea that you can't stop or it's, it's showing weakness when you do. Um, and... Uh, if you try to suppress a protection system, uh, the system can start to act as if you can't hear it, right? So if it's sending signals up and you're getting this pain and you get really good at just pushing them down, suppressing it, acting as if it doesn't hurt, um, if you keep on doing that, it's almost like your system says, oh, she's not hearing me. I guess I need to be louder, hmm. right? And and so... Um, it was one of my. It was one of my students said to me. She said, "Well, oh, I get it. If uh, if I listen to the whispers, it doesn't need to scream, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right?" And this is a, a fairly common thing. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, I, I think uh, there's. Um, I know myself and a, a core generation of my friends and family members. We were brought up with that. We're suck it up. It's okay. Ride through it, and and you get to the point where I mean, my pain tolerance is unbelievable. I've been told by doctors, even my midwife. <laughs> I think that was the ultimate. She just said, "Yeah, you you can tolerate a lot." And I don't. And for me, it wasn't even about tolerating. You know, it was just it is what it is. Um, but um, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, the one thing I know through working um, as a body worker and through working with yoga, it is not about suppressing it or ignoring it, 
but it was really about honoring it. So when I would feel pain, it would be, I acknowledge you, I understand, I'm backing right. off. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't about getting older. It wasn't about anything like that. It was about the something told me, back off. Your body's telling you something. Maybe today is not the day that you should be doing this. Just back off a little right. bit and then move yeah. forward. When it, like, take the breath. If it doesn't go away, back off, you know. So that it's, it's yeah. for me, I guess it was um, what I sort of called the Tai Chi of, of working with my own body and listening yeah. and honoring. One of the advantages that you have is that you've you've practiced the techniques that could help you in this situation when you aren't in pain, right? So mm. you, you've you've done a personal practice, and and for a lot of the people in the world, the things that would actually help them get better they've never done before in their life, and the only time that they try it is when they're in the face of a fairly significant pain. Right. And uh, so pain management techniques are skills. They're things that you need to practice to get good at. And so um, this is a problem that people have is, is we practice them in the worst. The worst possible situation is when we practice these things. And uh, so so you've got that advantage, right? You've you've tried it before and that makes it makes it easier for you. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. But as well as acknowledge, uh, I mean, the other words that become important are things like acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, but but when you use that word, do people just kind of freak out a little to say, you're absolutely. asking me to accept my pain? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because the, the word acceptance, you know, from a yoga world, uh, well, actually from the psychology world too, is acceptance is acknowledging or finding a way to be okay with what's happening now and at the very same time still moving forward you mm -hmm. still have the desire to move forward but for most people this word acceptance is trouble because it sounds like they're giving up or it sounds like we're suggesting to people that <clears throat> you know you just have to give uh, you just have to accept it usually means you just have to give up and right. that's definitely not what we're saying and it's one of the things that i've really found important around the pain management area is to continue to let people know uh, to con you know, continue to talk to them about how pain is a physiological process. Yes, it affects the way we think, and yes, it affects how we emote. But for most of us in the world, we uh, struggle when we talk about pain from a psychological view or what's viewed as psychology mm -hmm. uh, because that suggests weakness or it suggests it's all in my head and this sort of thing. Um, and that's another problem that people have with w words like acknowledgments and, and right. uh, acceptance is because the person's saying, no, 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 you don't get it. The problem is in my shoulder, right? <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me that I just need to acknowledge it or I need to accept it. That's a, that says it's not real. It's in my head. Right. Um, and so, so part, of the, part of the sort of unique way that we've come to start to work with people with, with ongoing pain problems is to get them to understand that pain has everything to do with physiology. It has to do with the physiology of your nervous system and every other aspect of your existence. And when you can talk to people about it from a physiological perspective, then you can sort of de-psychologize it and de-medicalize it and, and make it so people uh, uh, see it as something more real and changeable, which has been a struggle for us, right? We've um, in the past, uh, you know, I've, I've been to yoga classes where they've said things like, um, 
uh, pain is your friend. And, and of course, <laughs> then I I've heard that one too. My whole, my whole letting go stuff is I'm thinking, okay, if there's anybody in the room who actually has pain right now, um, and they've never, you know, if they haven't done a whole lot of work, um, that is the absolutely ridiculous idea, you know, that pain is your friend. <laughs> Uh, you know, because when we're in big pain, pain is the enemy, right? Pain is something you want to escape from. Pain is something you want to fight. Um, and so when we say pain is your friend, it's a good idea, but we got to tell the person at the right time. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be right in the middle of the asana, of course, you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> when you're, yeah. you know, holding downward facing dog and your arms are shaking and someone's telling yeah. you, oh, pain is your friend. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. It'd be like, you know, if, if some you know guy like me walked into you while you're having your baby and told you that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to go over so well. Well, I know my baby's my friend, but I don't know about the pain. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I do, I do believe that uh, um, the words that we choose to use is very powerful. And again, you know, depending on where you're from and which society you're from, it, it's it, it really makes a huge difference. I mean, if like if you're from UK or Canada and versus the states. I mean, there's certain language that you would use in Canada and not here, and in different parts of the States, it's the same thing, you yep. know, because um, there's a certain way of life or a societal way of life in that state, let's just say, that is very different, that they, they take to things a little bit differently. You can't really use the same words, right? Well, exactly. I was talking a couple years ago to a bunch of yoga therapists. Uh, I was tr teaching in a yoga therapy training program. And I was talking about this idea of, of with the pain of going to the edge of the pain and finding a way to uh, feel safe and knowing that you're not going to regret it later and sort of going through these sort of gentle guidelines of how to start to move again um, in the face of ongoing pain. And uh, there were a couple of uh, First Nations women in the class, uh, both young, uh, but it turned out one of them was in line to be the chief. Uh, wow. There was there were no males in her family, and so and she was she was going to be the chief, and so um, wow, she had been trained since a young age in in their way. The the the, uh, the nation she was from had really kept a lot of their traditions alive, mm -hmm. um, and um, anyway, so she listens to all this stuff that I'm saying, and then she says, "I could never tell anybody in my tribe that." They would not listen to any of those words. She went on to say this beautiful, eloquent story about how it would be all about becoming a warrior, you know, <laughs> finding a way to become. But but she was talking about uh, a way to become more fearless, which I love it, and I use that those words so much now. You know, how do we become? How do we step up to this pain and become more fearless in the face of this pain? <clears throat> Um, oh and, gosh. uh, she talked about, you know, it's not about being a reckless warrior of, of wading into the enemy with your sword, you know, uh, just swinging around. It was, it was about, you know, you do it mindfully and you find a way to become strong in the face of this. And then when you feel that strength again, you step forward where there's more fear again, and then you get strong there and then you step forward. It was beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, and and so it, it just yeah it reminded me when you said that about how key it is to be able to speak uh, the cultural language. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's an interesting thing, too, because I wonder about the, 
the cultural language of of the the sort of current day teens and twenty or early twenty year olds, uh, the language has got to be different. What uh, language? <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, I'm still trying to make it out. <laughs> yeah, or, or I guess we could text it. No, <laughs> yeah, that's the language. That's right. But there's a there's a very different uh, there, there's a shift. And I'm not sure if it's everywhere, but there's this this shift from uh, well, this shift from this this sort of uh, suck it up, push through, grit your teeth kind of mentality to much more of of you know what people have coined the entitlement. Um, and, uh, I'm entitled not to have pain and to be able to move properly. And I think, you know, we're going to have to, uh, change our language all the time, not mm -hmm. just even within, uh, one sort of, uh, location, but for the different age groups. Yeah, you know, we need to talk to our elders in a totally different way about pain than, than we talk to our, our teens about this. Yeah. Um, you know, anyone who's, uh, any of our elders at this point probably uh, grew up, if they're from North America, as they grew up here, they grew up through the Depression. Mm -hmm. And right. so you can imagine their their work ethic and their the way that they approach stuff is so different. Oh, very much so. And, you know, I, I was just caring for uh, uh, my 91-year-old uncle. Actually, he turned 92 with me. And um, the, the whole the whole presentation of anything from his meds to the exercises that he needed to do. And <clears throat> like even what uh, the hospice nurse would ask, I would have to kind of come in and ask it in a whole different manner. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or, you know, sometimes the hospice doctors would say some things and he'd get so offended and I have to come back and kind of reword everything, you know, to that generation. <laughs> Well, and that's the, you know, I, once again, that's to me, that's the, the beauty of sort of therapeutic yoga or yoga therapy is that uh, we can modify it. We yes. can modify the language, uh, you know, as long as, as long as we're not dealing with someone who's, you know, anything yoga is horrible and terrible. I won't have anything to do with it. Uh, we can, yeah, we can modify what we do and we can modify the language, uh, you know, as as yoga teachers and yoga therapists, we're sort of we've learned the language of yoga, uh, but we don't have to use that with with people, right? Uh, and to to get what we want, and and that's really what I've I've found with um, with the pain management side of things is that it's so important to uh, recognize that you're helping the person in front of you, and recognize that the pain that they have is their story. And I don't mean that in a, a negative or derogatory way at all, but pain is a story, right? It's just, it's this, uh, pain is this thing that your, your, your organism has created to protect you. Mm -hmm. And when it lasts, the story grows <coughs> and, uh, that story is all wrapped up with you. And so we need to, uh, uh, do what we know in yoga is, is to, work on you, every aspect of you, rather than, um, uh, you know, we can get people better when they have back pain and we treat their back. But most of the time, or a lot of times when pain persists, you can treat your back all you want. <laughs> Unless you actually work on the person, you're not going to get them better. Mm. Uh, and it's I, coming and back, I, right? 
Well, yeah, because the problem isn't just in their back anymore. Because if it's lasted long enough, it will change every aspect of your existence. Mm. You know, ask anybody who has ongoing pain and they will tell you that pain has changed absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And we need to recognize that when pain starts to change more and more things, uh, even if you could figure out the source, the original source of it uh, and fix it, that doesn't mean that everything else is going to get better too. Um, all the other changes that have happened as a result of the pain may uh, may continue to drive the pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, strangely enough, long after the tissue has gotten better, wow. which is sort of a weird idea, but that's the way it works. Wow. Um, Neil, I have a question. What about people who are suffering like from... MS or fibromyalgia, which is that continuous. Yeah. That I mean, what I hear is it's quite continuous. It's just that you have good days and bad days. I mean, do you treat individuals like that as well? Yeah, I see. I see a lot of people who have fibromyalgia. Wow, community... what is it? A pandemic going on now? I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, unless science and medical has gotten so great that they're able to decipher all of it. That you know comes to a time now where we're just hearing about a lot more, or or is there something going on with a certain age group? Or ah. well, it's hard to figure out because fibromyalgia is now becoming a legitimate pain syndrome. Hmm. So in the past, um, you know, originally they said the problem was uh, like well, the name of it wasn't the problem was in the fibrous and muscle tissue, and you know so that people believed in that. And then what happened was uh, they started to say, no, it's not in the fibrous and muscle tissue. It's a psychological problem. Hmm. I mean, there's still been this very much uh, strong stigma about fibromyalgia being a psychological weakness. Uh, But we now have a better understanding about it. Although we have to keep in mind that fibromyalgia is a syndrome. Uh, a syndrome meaning we don't know the cause. Mm. We don't know what made this happen. But in fibromyalgia, what we do know of, you know, because it's, it's such a big thing, but we do know that the nervous system is on hyper alert. Uh, the system has become hyper vigilant so that things that the body normally would have just brushed off are now uh, being interpreted as being highly dangerous, highly threatening, which mm. means that you get a lot of pain. So, you move a small amount, your body says that's dangerous and you get lots of pain. You, uh, um, a smell comes up, which will create protective responses in our body, you know, a smell that bothers you, and now the fibromyalgia will flare. Or uh, noises, uh, lights, um, stress, not being able to sleep. All wow. of a sudden, you've got all these different um, stressors are now firing off your pain system as if there's something dangerous happening in the body. So it's this hypersensitive nervous system. Uh, there are some people believe that we are seeing more of it because there are more toxins out there. There's more, um, you know, the, the cell phone waves and the microwaves and the, the, the pollutants were being bombarded by these things so much. Um, and some people start their life hypersensitive to this stuff. 
Hmm. Right. But, but life says you need a cell phone. Life says you need to be able to work in front of a computer. Life says you need to be able to multitask. And some people's systems are just so hypersensitive to that, those mm-hmm. things. Um, the MS part is, is interesting because, um, not everyone with MS gets pain. It's actually less than 50% of people with MS has has significant pain from it, wow. uh, which really gets people wondering about this because we really see MS, we have seen MS as one disease, although you know now people are wondering maybe it's not just one disease process. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also seen it as something where there is a, the, your immune system is actually attacking the immune sorry your immune system is attacking the nervous system it's a, it's attacking the uh the the sheaths around the the nerves themselves and so um we would have expected that a lot of people with ms would have had uh pain but a lot of them don't which once again tells us the complexity of this thing right uh just because there's something wrong in your body doesn't mean that you're going to have pain from it Right, but to get back to the fibromyalgia thing, because I think it's really important for people to know that um, of all the interventions that you can do when you have fibromyalgia, uh, the right kind of yoga has been shown to be uh, equally effective to any other things. You know, and and it would make sense because it's getting people to work on calming their nervous system. Well, they've got a hypervigilant nervous system, so you can do a lot in yoga to try to calm that down. And you're also trying to get the person to move in the face of pain in a mindful, wise way. And uh, we know that one of the big things that will actually help to calm the nervous system in the end is your ability to to move. Mm -hmm. Uh, That not being able to move is not good for your nervous system at all. Uh, Your your pain system will be much more freaked out if you're uh, inactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the, the sort of unusual thing about fibromyalgia compared to all the other pain problems is the uh, the sort of uncertainty or the unexpected pain that a person with fibromyalgia today could do a certain thing and be relatively okay tomorrow they do the very same thing and they have this massive flare-up so this unpredictable nature of it is is sort of the unique aspect of of fibromyalgia and it makes it so difficult for people to know how much to do mm. Um, and if I sort of get back to the, the yoga piece again, well, part of the uh, good thing about yoga is that you don't have to do the same thing every day. You don't right. have to push the same. You're not saying, okay, well, yesterday I lifted this much weight. Well, I shouldn't be decreasing the weight. You know, today you're saying, okay, I'm trying to do this and, and I can't keep my mind calm and I can't keep my body calm today. So, so I need to do less because the best way to approach yoga uh, the physical aspect of yoga and activity is to do it with a uh, calm mind and calm body and calm breath. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, well, I'm going to do as much of this as I can do while I keep those things calm. So it's, it's uh, the research is really building around that. Um, it's also shown uh, Tai Chi has been shown as being uh, quite effective around people with fibromyalgia, but there's not as much evidence that it, it's as, as effective as yoga. Right, I see. Yeah. I think yoga, I, I would assume it would depend on the age group as, as well. And so, yes. so the calming, the breath work is, seems like it's the, the one thing. I, I know that uh, even uh, with my mother who's been diagnosed with uh, 
osteoarthritis. So, you know, at 85, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I know that uh, even the last month that she's been with me and we've had different work done on her, you know, it, it was bringing her back down to her breath and mm -hmm. teaching her to breathe and calm the breath. And the minute she did that, well, the pain decreased, you know, from a pain of one to 10. I'd always ask her, one to 10, what's the pain level? One to 10, what's the pain level? And she's gotten so good. I, I, when I'd look and go, well, she goes five or three. <laughs> she's gotten so good at that. But it's amazing. When it hits a five, I go, okay, just stop. Don't move. Just take your breath down. And the minute she does that, yeah. the pain tolerance just goes down like the pain level, not the tolerance, yeah. the pain level goes down to a two, from a five to a two. You know, even when she's walking and continued the movement, as long as she calmed down and calmed everything yeah. down. And I just say, just think of this as a walking meditation. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just breathe and just with each step. Yeah. And it's beautiful yeah. when we can get people to there. You know, when we can get people to accept the power of breath mm. and the power mm. of intention and and for people to be able to accept that, okay, yes, you've got this osteoarthritis in your body, but that's not the only thing that's giving you this pain. It's not the only factor in your pain experience. And to realize the power that we have uh, within us, within our nervous system, within our mind, to be able to alter the pain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people sort of worry, oh, my God, am I, am I actually just um, – uh, Am I <clears throat> pushing the pain down so I can't feel it? And will it be dangerous to me for me to move when I do this? Um, because they're thinking that the pain only has to do with their tissue. Right. Uh, not realizing that the pain has as much to do with your nervous system as it does with the tissue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's this, in the, just recently down in Australia, this amazing research where they're looking at uh, people who have advanced osteoarthritis in their hands. So people have a lot of, lots of pain, lots of deformity in their hands, and they would um, get them to stick their hand in this little box. And inside this box, there was a mechanism that would sort of pull their fingers back like this just a little bit, just to give them a gentle stretch. Um, but the person is actually uh, thinking that they're looking into the box, but they're actually not looking into the box. They're looking at a – there's a screen on top of the box, and there's a camera inside it. So they're seeing the camera's view of their hand. And as they pulled the person's fingers back like this gently, the view on the camera is that the hand gets elongated. So it's this visual distortion of the hand lengthening at the same time as the fingers are being stretched back. And so they're watching this that they think is their hand and all of a sudden they see it being like physically lengthened, you know, like to one and a half times as long as the hand. <laughs> and what happened was their pain got markedly better. So, um, wow. and not only did their pain get better, but for a whole lot of them, their grip strength increased afterwards. Wow. And so what they're, what the researchers are saying is, you know, we need to research this even more to figure out why, because if they, if they visually distorted the hand, so it got bigger this way, yeah. it didn't decrease the pain. It only worked if you stretched it lengthwise, not across. Um, but they need to look into all that more, but they said, this is such amazing evidence of how much pain, even in the face of osteoarthritis, is affected by the information that comes into our brain. Mm -hmm. So something about you seeing your hand being stretched at the same time as you feel your hand being stretched mm -hmm. shifts the information coming into your brain. And so you're, not only is your pain experience less, but you're stronger at the end of it. 
wow. uh, which is pretty cool. It's right? very it's cool. That, uh, I love that. Yeah. So it's this, you know, the scientists say it's top-down influence on pain so that, that the information that's coming from starting up here and heading into your system is wildly powerful. And we've been taught that in terms of pain that the only <laughs> input of significance is bottom up, right? So it's what's happening in your body is the only thing that influences how much pain you have. Whereas now all this, this uh, science is showing that what happens uh, in your mind affects it too, which of course everyone's known for a long time. But as we've moved into, you know, Western science, Western science has said, no, 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 no. It's all in your body. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's really interesting you said that because now it kind of brings me back to uh, my little childbirth story where where when people would say, oh, you know, and tell their awful birth stories of the pain that they would go through, I'd go, you know, I'm not going to have a birth like that. That's all I kept saying to them. I'm not going to have a birth like that. Mine's going to be smooth and fluid. And <laughs> it was my own hypnosis, I think. And, um, you know, like the word contraction. I go, well, why did they use that word? I mean, contraction means to contract, you know. Yeah. I want to expand. <laughs> I want to expand. Yeah. And yeah. so I didn't allow anyone around me to use that word contraction. And it was, all we used was the word surge. And I would say to my oh. midwife, <clears throat> here comes another surge. And I'd say, it's a surge of energy, and we're going to move this energy. And that's all we're going to do is move the energy, right? And wow. expand. Surge and expand. <laughs> so I could keep thinking of it. It's like, do not come near me with the word contract, especially with my size. <laughs> and, you know, I do believe, Neil, it worked. <laughs> no, the, the words... The words that we use around this stuff, you know, it's yeah. the story, right? If, it is a story. If the story that's created is one of uh, pain and agitation and horror and catastrophe, which our brains are super at producing. Yes. Right? You know, when the something drama. bad happens, your brain's not by itself making up happy stories of you getting better. <laughs> it's making up all the stories where, you know, the horrible stuff happens. Right. And, and the story gets so influenced by so many things including the language right yes. um and it's it's so important for people to understand is yes there's still this thing going on in the body right so there you are having the baby or there is the person with osteoarthritis in their hand there's mm -hmm. still this thing going on in the body and those things are still sending signals up to the brain but how mm -hmm. much pain that you have is absolutely affected by everything else too yeah. um so if we think about it differently and we make a different story about it, if we use different words, um, if we start to notice the emotions that get tied up in it and start to see, can we actually start to shift that? Every time we start to find one of these, uh, actually, I love the word contraction use, everything that makes you contract more, right? Because yeah. pain makes you contract, yes. right? It makes you hold on for dear life. So every time you find something that's making that sort of thing happen, and you can try to find a way to practice to let that go, you're going to start to shift your pain experience. And that's mm. sort of what we want to do in, in, in yoga for people with pain and pain management is start to look at all the ways that the pain's changed you and those changes that are seen to be driving back into the pain to making these loops. And let's start to intervene in those loops. Um, so mm -hmm. let's get you to think about it and... Uh, have different emotions attached to it and different words attached to it. 
um, and even different expectations. Yeah. The research is absolutely clear, and everybody in the the yoga and meditation world will get it. Uh, it's harder to it's harder to uh, believe when you're in the face of your horrible pain. Right? <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you know, if this is the first time you've tried to consider this stuff, uh, it's the wrong time to be considering it most of the time. But um, uh, wow, I almost forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so if, um, what we want to try to do is to go after each one of these things and, and try to shift them one at a time. And every time you change one part of it, then you decrease the pain a bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, part of the trouble we have is this view that uh, pain management is actually pain control. Right. Um, and because a lot of people think control is an on and off switch. Mm. And when we're talking about pain management and pain control, we're actually talking about a dimmer switch. We're talking about how do you actually turn it down a bit? Mm-hmm. How do you work on that aspect so that you can dim it a bit um, and then work on another so you can calm it down even more so you keep on sort of whittling away at it? Uh, you know, this, this sort of black and white view we have of things gets us in trouble, mm-hmm. when, uh, especially around the word control because there's a whole lot of us that have been taught to uh, be in control. Either you are or you aren't, right? And uh, and so we have pain and we can't control it. At you know we we believe controlling it is absolute control, mm-hmm. and so we say, well, we can't do it, and we don't even try, mm-hmm. which is really sad. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, that's I, I like what you said about that. I like what you said about that whole aspect of control, you know, and uh, yeah, and management is it's. Um, to manage something, uh, that that works. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's manage even is a word that sometimes um, I have people saying, "No, don't use that word with me." Oh wow. Um, you know, it's, and you know, I think of another word is is uh, I get people to set goals, um, and some people that's exactly not what you want to do. You have to use the word plan. We're going to set a plan. We're going to make ah. a plan. Use goals, and it freaks them out. Because they've been, you know, a lot of times they've been in a job or something where there's been this massive, crazy focus on goal attainment. Mm-hmm. They oh, stress them right. out, and now you start talking about goals, and they get all stressed. They're just the word again, right? <laughs> the pain heightens. Um, yeah. Well, sorry. And that last thing I was talking about control. The other thing that I want to say about expectation is there's a ton of research that says that what we expect um, changes the physiology of your cells. So, you know, we used to believe that expectations, so if you believe something would hurt, if you expected it would hurt, it would hurt. Uh, Whereas now we've got research that says that uh, that's not just a psychological issue, that your expectation of how much it hurts changes the way the actual cells in your body respond to a noxious event. So if you put a really hot thermal probe on a person's arm and they expect it to be really sore, the cells in the area will actually release more inflammatory uh, chemicals. Ah. Um, so it's not just psychology. This is like everything to do with pain. This is physiology. Uh-huh. You know, psychology is part of it, but physiology is a big part of it. Um, ah. And you know, I, I've been in the last few days. I've been writing this uh, writing this paper for the uh, one of the upcoming uh, yoga therapy uh, magazines. Yoga Therapy Today from the uh, International Association of Yoga Therapists. Mm-hmm. And it's about pain. And I decided to write in this sort of unique way as writing it, uh, you know, pain is 
pain, you know, going through and saying pain is horrible and then discussing it. Pain is a perception, discussing it. Pain is um, a story, discussing that and sort of going through. Um, and as we we're talking, I sort of reminded me of the idea that if we really want to understand pain as yoga teachers, yoga therapists, and people who have pain, uh, what we have to do is be able to look at pain from multiple points of view. This is a, a human experience, and it's a in such as you know it's wildly complex. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably the best example I could give is um, you know if you wanted to try to uh, understand love, you couldn't do it very well by reading a definition. Um, right? Yes. Uh, you know, even the definition of pain is horrible. Well, I'm sure if anyone tried to really define love, it would be horrible too, right? It wouldn't get everything. Um, and when we first, you know, when we're a kid and, and we get a hamster or a gerbil or something, we develop this sort of love, right? And we have love for our parents. And so we have those experiences and we think we understand what love is. But then as we continue <laughs> to grow, we have new love experiences, right? And, you know, as a teenager, you have a totally different idea what love is most of the time, right? And then, then the more experiences you have with it, the more you get it. Uh, pain is a very, very similar thing. Um, and one of the troubles that we have is that when we've had our own personal pain experience, uh, we often run into a certain arrogance of believing we understand pain in its broadest perspective. Uh, but to truly understand pain, you need to be able to have learned about it either personally or if you're a good, you know, some people are good enough so they can actually learn from taking in information from others. Um, but we need to be able to learn about pain and experience pain from multiple points of view before we really get it. Right. And this is one of the troubles that we have is that we, our pain experiences often lead us to see pain as a certain thing. Um, mm. And, and uh, without the understanding of all the different things that pain is, we often end up making the wrong decisions about what to do. Mm like the decision to just push it down to, to suppress it or the decision to uh, um, anything that hurts, I won't do. Um, or the decision just to fight, right. you know, I'm a fighter. I'm going to fight. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, I'm, I'm hoping you can imagine that uh, uh, pain winds up your fight flight system. Mm. So more fights is not what you need. No fight is yes. also not going to help. But more fight is not going to work, right? It's fighting it more is just going to wind mm -hmm. up the fight flight system even more, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a very good point. I like, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Wow, Neil, we've uh, <laughs> it's coming to our witching hour now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> See how fast it goes by. It sure does, and it's such a huge topic. It's a it's an amazing topic because there's yeah. so many you know different aspects of it, and and I I know that that you are such a wealth of information. That's why you have to keep sharing it, you know, and being such an expert in in what you do. Um, Definitely. I mean, is, is there any one thing that you'd like to leave our audience with, um, you know, a very important tip or, or a saying that you'd like to leave them with so that, you know, we'll maybe help them make that first step or that shift in wow. dealing with what they are dealing with now, you know, which is, I always call it an imbalance that hopefully we can find the rebalance of. I think... The thing to remember more than anything is that, like everything in life, pain is not permanent. 
Um, it, 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 if you have pain right now, it will feel like it's not changeable, it's permanent. Uh, pain is something that can change and something that will change. Um, our job is to figure out how to change it in a positive way. And maybe what uh, we can do in future sort of talks is, is get into um, more of the strategies or the techniques. Mm-hmm. You know, today we've talked about what is pain in a really, really broad way. But um, what people I'm sure would like to know is, well, you know, okay, so that's what pain is. What am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if, if you can just remember that, that thing is that pain is changeable. And uh, the most powerful thing to change it is you. Fantastic. Yes. Change from within, right? Starts right from within. It's certainly a hard process, but that's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's got to be part of it. Um, Now, Neil, you are teaching, aren't you, in June, I do believe? Yes, we're doing a a retreat, actually, a four-day overcome pain yoga retreat on Salt Spring Island. Um, So... Uh, Salt Spring Island is just off of Vancouver Island, uh, close to Vancouver, Canada, and Seattle. And so it's a, it's a four-day retreat uh, primarily for people who have ongoing pain and want to learn more about it and learn um, uh, breathing techniques and body awareness techniques and gentle movement techniques to help them with uh, finding their way towards uh, less pain, better movement, and, mm. and restoring some quality of life. Uh, it is a retreat that's open to um, health professionals, practitioners, uh, yoga teachers, yoga therapists. Um, if any of uh, that group comes along, uh, they just need to understand that they're coming along for the experience. Um, it's not me trying to teach you how to uh, teach this to other people. Uh, that's another retreat that we do actually at the Salt Spring Center again uh, in the fall. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, if people want to know more about the retreats, uh, I guess the, probably the best thing to do is to go to the, my website, uh, which is www.lifeisnow.ca. Um, I always jokingly say it's a little bit like life is snow, but it's not. It's <laughs> life is now. Uh, because I live in Canada and I love snowboarding and cross-country skiing, sometimes people think it's life is snow, but it's not. Life is now. Uh, and it's .ca. Fantastic, Neil. Well, we'll, we're going to need to bring you back again on us uh, so that we can do a special on your event that you are doing on Salt Spring Island. It's such a beautiful place over there. And for those of you who have never been there, it's just like this island that is, I kind of want to say in the middle of nowhere, because that's what you kind of feel like. It's gorgeous with the sunsets there. And even when it's raining, it's stunning. It's stunning. So, you know, if you, I would just advise people to google it and i know yeah. a lot of uh, different um a lot of people have gone to salt spring island to sort of either retire or just take a long year retreat over there yeah and the whole island seems to be somewhat of a spiritual place and the yes. the salt spring center of yoga which is the center it's at is actually the sister center to mount madonna oh in, in california yeah oh okay well there you go. I've learned something new again. <laughs> the same Babaji. Yeah. The same Babaji. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for taking your time with us and, and sharing this with us. And again, we will just have to schedule you to get, come back again and, and uh, talk to us a little further and share with the audience what the next step is. 
Okay, great. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much, Neil. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.